From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. Exodus 10, Bo. What's so bad about leavening? In this week's portion of the Torah, God continues to slam Egypt with plague after plague until Pharaoh gives up and allows the Jewish people to leave. In preparation for freedom, God begins to give the first of the many commandments that he has entrusted to the Jewish people. The word Torah comes from the root meaning instruction and now begins the many detailed instructions to the Jewish people as to how to live a Jewish spiritual life. One of the very first commandments given teaches us how to conduct the Passover Seder. In addition to the requirements that apply only to the Seder night, there are those that apply to the entire holiday week. The main week-long provision is the prohibition against leavening. This restriction is so strict that we are not even allowed to have such products in our possession. The severe punishment for eating leavening this week is that the Jew who would do so would be cut off from the Jewish people. Now, what is so bad about leavening? After all, we are told that we can eat it the rest of the year. For instance, the Shabbat loaves of bread are traditionally leavened, and there were leavened loaves used in the temple service. So why can't we eat it or even have it in our possession during the entire week of Passover? Also, there's an unusual custom to conduct a final check for this forbidden leavening on the night right before the holiday. To conduct this search, we use a candle, a wooden spoon, and a feather. Why? First, we must understand why leavening is forbidden during this week. The leavening agent causes the dough to rise. When bread is baked, the ingredients are simply flour, water, and yeast. Without the yeast, the bread would be flat, like matzah. Each leavened loaf looks differently than the next. It is almost as if each loaf has its own personality, but all matzahs look alike. It's hard to tell one from another. This is why leavening is forbidden this week. Passover is the holiday when we remember and stress how God took and continues to take us out of slavery. We can only go beyond our limitations, Egypt, when we nullify our wants. Big egos get stuck at the border. This means that we must become so humble that instead of pursuing our own personal agendas and their physical masters, we must choose to serve God and His spiritual agenda. This requires great humility and thanksgiving. Leavening does to flour and water just what our ego does to us. It puffs us up. Each loaf thinks it is beautiful, but really, except for the gas that the yeast put in there, there is just plain flour and water. So it is with us. If it were not for our ego, we would see ourselves to be mere flesh and bones, not such a big deal. Something alive today and gone tomorrow. So the special service of this holiday is to become a humble servant of God, a matzah instead of a big puffy loaf of pharaoh. But what then of the candle, wooden spoon, and feather? They teach us a great lesson in how to get rid of our troublesome egos. When we start to clean our homes for Passover, we begin with the largest tools first, 
hired helpers, vacuum cleaners, sweepers, large brooms, shovels, strong detergents, and on and on. Then as the house becomes cleaner and cleaner, we use lighter tools, a dust cloth, a dustpan, sponges, paper towels, and such. We use smaller and lighter tools until we come to a candle in place of normal lighting, a small wooden spoon instead of a shovel, and a feather for a broom. Why? Just as when we clean our physical homes, we did not stop cleaning after one time over, but rather clean deeper and deeper, so much we clean our mental homes deeper and deeper. Just like when we found a lot of physical leavening and we kept looking for more, so must we do when we search for our spiritual leavening. When looking for our arrogance, we quickly find that big, main, obvious problem. Whoever honestly looks will see a big ego sticking up its foolish head. But you know what? Even after resolving to get rid of this major problem, there is still more to the surge. We must look further. Look in the dark corners and you will find more things that you will want to get rid of. Then, after the final check... We tie up the remainder of the candle, the wooden spoon, the feather, and the leavening that we found in a paper bag. In the morning, we burn them with any other leavening and ego we have left in our possession. We say the appropriate prayers and feel really clean as we rush off to do the next thing on the long list of things that must be done that day before we can happily go out into freedom during the Seder that night. backward. There's an interesting custom observed at the Kotel. Upon leaving the Kotel area, we turn around and face the wall. Only then do we back away from the Kotel area. Some will back up all the way from the Kotel itself. Why? We see the answer to this question in this week's portion of the Torah. In the beginning of the portion, Moshe and Aaron go to Pharaoh and speak very harshly to him, warning him to do what God commanded, or else locusts will plague Egypt. Then they turned and left Pharaoh's presence. This was a sign of great disrespect. They turned their back to the king and walked away. If one were leaving a king's presence, he would back away slowly, keeping his eyes on the king. Perhaps the king would call him back. Perhaps the king might think he was rude if he turned his backside to him. Surely he would want to feast his eyes on the ruler as long as he could. When we stand at the Kotel, we are standing at a place where God's revealed presence has never left. If we would not turn our backs to an earthly king, then certainly we would not turn them from the heavenly king. A Sign The most exciting thing in this week's portion of the Torah is the Jewish nation's exodus from Egypt into freedom. A nation of lowly slaves marched out, heads held high, taking with them great riches, and this happened while the slave masters watched, totally defeated. At long last, after hundreds of years of exile and slavery, the exodus came. Hashem dealt out his last two plagues to the Egyptians, who finally allowed the Jewish nation to leave the horrible bondage that they had cruelly imposed upon them. Remember, the Torah is talking to us today, and the real message here is not merely the historical one, but the current one. 
When we rely on God and seek His ways, even today we can go out into freedom with riches while our enslavers stand helplessly watching us go. This is why we are told again and again to remember the exodus from slavery. This is not merely to give praise to Hashem for having taken our ancestors out of bondage, but to remember that He will do the same thing for us today when we follow His ways. In this portion, we are given some of the rules of the holiday of Passover, and we are told that its primary purpose is to remember our going out from slavery into freedom. We are also told about the mitzvah of tefillin, the leather boxes that we lay upon our arms and upon our heads. Here, too, we are told to remember our exodus into freedom. The holiday of Passover has obvious connections to the original Passover and, therefore, reminds us of our exodus. But what do tefillin have to do with the exodus? After all, isn't this just a ritual? Tefillin are called a sign or an ornament upon our head and are to be a reminder to study Torah. Placing words of Torah on our foreheads is certainly a reminder to study the Torah. But how are they an ornament? Tefillin are called a crown. The Talmud speaks of four crowns. There's the crown of Torah. This is the learning of the Torah. There's the crown of priesthood. This is the temple service and its equivalent today, which is prayer. There's a crown of kingship. This is the fulfilling of the mitzvah that go out into the kingdom, the world. Finally, there's the crown of a good name, which surpasses them all. This is Hasidus, which leads a person to a spiritual life. Only the king wears the crown, but it is not for him to see. It is worn to identify him to others as the king. This is done for their benefit, because when they give honor to the king, there will be order and blessings in the kingdom. If you see a group of people praying, what religion would you say they must belong to? You cannot tell just from prayers, because all religions teach prayer. What if you see them burning incense? What religion would they have to belong to? You cannot say, because all religions burn incense. What if they are bowing down? Same thing. All religions teach their followers to bow down. Singing, same thing. Offering an animal, same thing. On and on until you see someone putting on tefillin. Ah, tefillin. This is a sign of a Jew. No one else in the entire world, not in its entire history, has ever adopted the custom of tefillin except the Jews. To this day, they are a sign, a crown that is placed upon our heads, the heads of his people, to identify us as the ones he has taken out and does take out of slavery. There is one.com.